Life of a Global Energy Pioneer Interview with Agata Daru Episode 26 Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. This week, we speak with Agata Daru, who is a portfolio manager of the South and Eastern European region for the Clean Air Fund. In this episode, we take a different turn and go into Agata's background of moving from a Polish NGO to Shell and then her decision to do an MBA in the United States. We learn about her experience working for a U.S. energy startup. We learn about her decision to leave the U.S. and move to Nigeria and join up with local organizations and businesses working with farmers and delivering solar power to consumers across a number of countries. Before we begin, I want to give a bit of background. Agata and I have known each other for 10 years. We were part of the first batch of ELEAP members. This is the Emerging Leaders in Environmental and Energy Policy Network, which began as an initiative of the Atlantic Council and Ecologic, and which was funded by the Robert Bosch Foundation and the European Commission. This was a great transatlantic initiative as it really brought together a range of younger people who are still in contact today. Looking back, we can say all of them have built on their ELEAP initiative to shape their lives and careers. My point is these initiatives bring people together in a loosely structured way and really do make a difference. As we'll learn from Agata, her work in Europe, the US, and Africa built on her ELEAP experience, and is here where we get to the point of the My Energy 2050 podcast. We like to share both the knowledge and experience of people making a difference, understanding how and why people make decisions in their lives to build a better energy system, assists all of us in transforming the energy system. My request to you this week is to help us spread the message of the My Energy 2050 podcast. Please share this episode or others on LinkedIn or Twitter. We grow by word of mouth, and the longer we do this, our message is becoming clearer. It takes dedication of personal commitment to build and deliver a cleaner energy system. So let's make this happen together. The intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. And now for this week's episode. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast. Today we're speaking with Agata Daru, who is a portfolio manager of the South and Eastern European region for the Clean Air Fund. The Clean Air Fund uses philanthropic capital to tackle air pollution with the intent to improve human health. Agata also has held a range of professional roles in Europe, the US, and Africa. She is now located in London. She holds an MBA from California State University, Long Beach. Agata, welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast. Hello, happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, I'm really excited to be interviewing you today and the reason I wanted to have you on really was both for your role, your new role, the Clean Air Fund, but also just your background. And, and I think it's really exciting. And if you don't mind, a lot of my questions are based on your background and your experiences. And then, then we'll shift to your current role at the Clean Air Fund. Is that okay? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, my, my first question to you and one I love to ask everybody is how did you get involved? And we'll call this area of energy, okay? How did you get involved in the area of energy and environment? Absolutely. So, yeah, so it was back with Demos Europa Policy Think Tank based out of Warsaw that I worked for 
in the very beginning of my professional career. And the think tank was focusing on the key um, elements that were shaping the European Union agenda at that point. And for us, it was just so clear that energy, climate change, clean air, the environment, those were absolutely critical to the agenda of the EU. And um, we were a small team. I had the pleasure to choose what area I wanted to focus on, and I just picked that one. While you're at Demos Europa, how did how did that train you and what did you learn? Because it was an NGO based in Warsaw and you worked there for seven years. How was that? How did that serve you for a foundation to do a lot more, which we'll get into in the area of energy, technology and environmental protection? It was absolutely you know, cr- crucial to my, my professional development and also personal development. Uh, working for a think tank early in your career, I think, shapes the way you think um, and makes you question pretty much everything in your professional and personal life. Question in a, in a good sense um, the meaning of that word. Um, what I mean by that is you don't take things as they are and you don't, uh, you don't, you don't just nod when someone with authority tells you something, you you try and deconstruct every concept and see if it makes sense. And then obviously our focus with Demos Europa was political concepts, right? So we would we would question those and we would try and see if they the approaches that the EU was taking and its member states were taking were the right ones to achieve certain objectives. And then uh, we would propose new solutions if we thought they were, they were uh, of value. So, yeah, so, so absolutely. Um, it also, you know, my, my first job uh, took me to almost all EU member states, as well as the United States and, and Australia, to talk to policymakers, to talk to people from academia, from uh, non-profit organizations, as well as business about climate change, energy, um, the environment, that really gave me the opportunity to to learn how to talk to high-level officials so that uh, the message that I want to communicate gets, gets through, uh, which is a very important skill in life in general, but in professional life as well. So that was... That was that was very good training. I think it helped me uh, throughout my professional career. Mm-hmm. So working, starting off and working in an NGO kind of gave you this exposure to policymakers and drawing on a an agenda of your NGO. You were able to express yourself clearly and at a high high level. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. No. That was that was that that was great. And I worked with very intelligent people and also people who really cared about making sure that I, I develop as well. So they were, they were challenging me pretty much all the time, but it really made me grow, challenging me intellectually. I developed my writing skills, my communication skills, my interpersonal skills. Yes. So that was very good foundation for my future work. 
Sorry, I didn't mention before, but what, what years did you work for Demos Europa? It was 2007 to 2014, okay. 2007 to 2014? Yes. Yes. And that's actually when we met because we have to Yes, yes, it was. No, it was an, an amazing network for young professionals in energy and environment that both of us were invited to. And this was really, um, oh, well, actually, it was my second time that I traveled to the United States um, to talk about energy and, and climate change. And we did quite a few amazing uh, study tours across the United States, talking to local policymakers, lo local um, academia, uh, local NGOs about ab absolutely, absolutely groundbreaking solutions. And uh, it was an exchange between young leaders in Europe and young leaders in the United States. Um, so that was, that was also an, that was, a, that was I want to say it was a pivotal moment in my, in my uh, life uh, as well. Yes, yes. So a bit of background, the E-Leap uh, was sponsored by the Atlantic Council and the European Commission. And when we were members, they paid for everything. They paid for all our travel experiences. And it was, yeah, people from the United States and Europe interacting together on trips, on study tours, and they lined up excellent interviews with people. We went to what? Colorado, California. And yeah, in, in my, my area too, that was foundational too in just that experience and learning about all these technologies like shale gas and solar, even hydrogen in California. And how did that, because then uh, maybe maybe we transition a little bit. Uh, you were a member of the E-Leap, which has got, since gone on to a different funding model, unfortunately. So participants actually have to pay for some of their travels. I can understand, but I can also kind of really promote that uh, free uh, participation in the whole project was definitely worthwhile and definitely worth the f funds that were put into it. I was just wondering then, because then after you left Demos Europa, you moved over to Shell, which is quite, quite a jump. This is why I really like to talk about your background and, and your decision making in this, actually. So why, why would you go from a small NGO that's, um, I would say promoting environmental values and I would say more, uh, social have a social agenda to to a large international oil and gas firm. Why why did you make that transition? Mm -hmm. no, so it was so after seven years with uh, Demos Europa, I uh, knew it was time for my next step, and I was so I was considering either business or governmental sector. So I I thought that at that point I had enough experience with a nonprofit and it was time to venture into a new field. And uh, at Demos Europa, I, I, I worked with many businesses that were, um, that, 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 that were um, starting their thinking around how to tackle climate change and, you know, and, and environmental issues as well as air pollution. And Shell was and still is doing that. Um, even though its core business is still oil and gas, there is what Shell calls new energy, um, 
leg of its operations, and that is he- investing heavily in renewables. Because I think any sensible company nowadays, they just know that that's a you've got to be prepared for the transition because it's gonna it's gonna happen, and the ones that are best prepared are gonna be the winners. That kind of drove my thinking. I'd rather work with those that are willing to shift uh, than against them. Um, and uh, we did quite a bit of good work in Eastern Europe, working with uh, innovators, with people with ideas, with companies with ideas, uh, break breakthrough solutions to um, you know to lower uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so that was part of my uh, role with Shell, and and also actually Shell, uh, my 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 years with Shell were also very formative because I transitioned from the nonprofit type of mindset to a for-profit type of mindset, which is which is um, it is it, they, those are different, very different, and um, and I think uh, acquiring that business acumen is also very formative to to the type of thinking that you implement on 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 a daily basis. So so Shell was also very inspiring in terms of okay so you know how do I make sure that the transition actually happens because in order to implement um big changes in how we live our lives you know you've got to have the um, input from the policy making, right? The, 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 the right policies and the right regulations so that people have the, um, instructions on, uh, how things are done, you know, take recycling or take uh, electric vehicles. The, but then you've got also, uh, to have the technology solutions that will help, uh, drive that, right? This policy without actual solutions. You know, is just a piece of paper. So, and then who provides those solutions? Typically businesses, the big ones and the small ones. So, so that was very important. And then kind of uh, the last bit, uh, but not least is the awareness raising and the mindset change, uh, in societies, right? The way people move from, uh, you know, driving to biking or from, Trashing rivers to recycling. Um, so the, so those are very, very important. So that's why I think working for, for profit organization is very helpful in, ha- in helping you understand that as well. So, so for you both, it was a professional new, new way to address environmental issues, but also professionally, it was a new way to learn new ways and how others think. Can I summarize it that yes. way or? Yes. Absolutely. And then how can you, from when you were working at Shell, and we don't have to go into to, to great detail, but I was just thinking how the, uh, there's definitely a different culture within the company, right? Than, than working for a small NGO. How did you adapt to that different working culture? Yes, it was. So I did. Um, it was a challenge at, at first because with Demos Europa, I was the second employee there and I helped the organization grow but I you know I felt like I you know have always been there um, and the other people are coming and going but um, but it was you know it was I, I felt a very big ownership of uh, of 
not just by role, but the entire institution. With Shell, yes, you know, the multinational, uh, huge energy company uh, with a couple of thousand employees just in Poland, that was that was a big shift. And also, also very formative, I have to say, because then you get to be more considerate of working with people from different levels, uh, from uh, different backgrounds, and uh, in different emotional uh, also conditions, right? And um, in different, having having different approach to work. And you will say have people who are very ambitious, sometimes over ambitious. So you will have people who are not very ambitious, professionally at least, or you have people who want to get things uh, done fast and then thing people who want to sit on certain things uh, for a while before before they are happy with them to move forward so you have to be very flexible and you have to be more mindful of who you're collaborating with because uh, because yeah because you will be just collaborating with so ma- so many more people than in a small think tank do you did you felt feel well i guess with and I, I don't mean to like single out Shell, but even you can look at oil and gas companies themselves and the current environment, which is very much different from when you were working at Shell. But do you, and you mentioned at the beginning that Shell was, you know, realizing and they were do, trying to do more in renewables and looking around now, can you see that these, these companies are accelerating their drive into renewables and that this day of oil and gas for them as the primary I would say profit center of their corporations are are kind of winding down. Do you, do you think that the industry, the private, we could just say the private uh, oil and gas companies see this on the horizon that they need to even double, triple their efforts uh, into renewable energy? So like any business, there is money in renewables. Clearly there's money in renewables. Smart business will go there because there's money there. And, and I think, I think this, this is the right thing to do, right? I mean, if you see a new business area for your company, the, I mean, I think, I think it's your obligation at least to try it out. And just to give a, a very personal example now, um, my husband and I, we've, we, we have an electric vehicle now. This is my first electric vehicle and, uh, we don't have a garage or, place uh, where we could charge it but I walk out the door I take eight steps to the left and there is a lamp where I can charge my car and that lamp was provided by Shell um, so um, so it's you know so it's <laughs> they, they are you know they are exploring for sure they're exploring that area and they're you know they're looking into new ways to to make money in that area and that's as I said what uh, any sensible business would do that's a great example. That's a great, great example. Wow. Okay. Well, then let's move on then, because then you left Shell. This is this. So having known you for a long time, I'm always like really interested by what what comes along and what what changes in your life. And then you decided to go to the United States and do an MBA there. And what prompted your thinking in that? Sorry, I don't mean to make this like a counseling session. I'm just trying to like, I, I find it really interesting. You've made these 
big decisions in your life in these changes. And th that's why I'm really interested to ask you these questions. So what, what drove you to the United States to do an MBA there? Yeah, so actually it, it was inspired by my work for Shell because uh, I felt, so my first degree was in political science. And um, after a few years with Shell, it's like, I do want to understand doing business better. And I thought for me, the best way to do it was to get an MBA degree. It might not be the way for everyone, but for me, I felt that it was the right thing to do. Um, so, so it was really, that idea was inspired by my work with Shell. And, um, it was, and my manager at Shell and all my colleagues were very supportive of that idea. So, so yeah, so that, that, that was that. I then started looking for, for, for the best fit for me. And actually our trips to, to the United States with ELEAP made me think that an MBA in the United States and then specifically in California would be the best fit for me. Um, so that I, acquire the California business acumen uh, when while doing my MBA there so 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 I wanted to relocate to to California to be to have to, to get the exposure to business people over there and you really only can do that when you are there in person um, so that was the value that I wanted out of my MBA and and I got it and I was um, I was very pleased and and you also got involved in startup businesses which is great of course because you were there and you had a variety of exposures and but one of them was the Skyven technologies could you explain why you started or I, I'm not quite sure what you were actually doing. So maybe you need to explain that what Skyven Technologies is and and your role in it. Absolutely. So Skyven can uh, part of uh, my drive to reduce uh, emissions and air pollution worldwide. Uh, Skyven works with industrial players to help them reduce emissions from heating uh, like industrial heating so uh, it's a it's a it's a breakthrough technology that was developed by its founder yes and we were uh, you know we were new uh, new on the market and uh, you know trying to deploy uh, to, to to scale the business and deploy the solution to you know in as many places as possible and california was the the right place to be uh, also the northeast skyven itself based out of dallas texas but most of our, our business was outside of outside of texas so it was so my role was to help develop the business i was the business development manager um and again skyven took me to 15 different states in the United States, uh, trying to see what partners we can find and what companies best to work with. And we found many of them uh, specifically in, in California and in the Northeast. What, what kind of technology is it though exactly? What Can you describe what, what it does? Yes, it's, it's solar thermal. So it's a concentrated solar thermal panels that you put on, on your roof or next to your facility and they, um, replace the need to burn fossil fuels for, uh, for, uh, high temperature heating. So yeah, so we worked with, you know, we worked with companies that process dairy, that process nuts, that process veg. 
because they need steam in that in in in, the, in their operations, and that steam can be produced from different sources. Nowadays, most of them are conventional, but you can do it with renewable sources as well. Great. So it replaces usually it's gas. I, I would think to usually it's gas. Yes. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So here it is uh, replacing the the so uh, using solar to replace the gas, and it's proven that it does work. Right. It does work. I'm moving along your timeline here. Then you decide to go to Africa, okay, to to Nigeria. But I I want to know your decision making here. Like, why why leave a startup business, this interesting technology with Skyven, and then why what what pushed you to go to Africa? Absolutely. So I actually went to, to Nigeria prior to moving to California. I worked pro bono for for a startup company there. Um, just for a, for a couple of months, but it really, it really inspired me. And I promised myself that I would go back one day. So, but, but because I already, you know, already had everything set up for my move to California, I was like, okay, let's, let's do that first because that was part of the plan. And then, uh, and then I just promised myself I have to go back one day. So I finished my MBA and then I moved to Dallas, uh, to work with Skyven. And then, you know, after a few years of doing that, decided that that was probably the good time to go back to Nigeria because I really thought if not now, then probably never. Uh, because there are, you know, there are times in your life where you can, do a more adventurous uh, moves and there are times when you cannot and from my personal standpoint that was actually the right decision because back then I was uh, you know single and happy to explore different geographical location it was very easy for me to move from one place to another today I'm happily married with an eight-month-old daughter and today, um, I probably wouldn't make that decision. Um, so I think it was the right time to do that because that was the time in my life when I, when I still could. After spending a couple of years in, in Nigeria and working on several projects in uh, sustainable energy, agriculture and finance, I think that also gave me the hands-on experience in, in developing country that really shifts the way you think about how to implement solutions on a global scale so that they are not just fit for developed countries, that they're also fit for developing countries, because this is where the most of the shift will have to happen. I want to go into the experience a bit more. When you went to Africa and you how did you get involved in some of these projects? And maybe you could just pick out one that, that you got involved in and what was it about and how did it develop over your time there? Yeah, so I'll pick up uh, my uh, work with uh, Babangona or Great Farm in Hausa language in northern Nigeria. That was a sustainable agriculture project that, um, you know, is still ongoing. Uh, it's just my involvement has ended, but it was one of the most uh, rewarding and fascinating experiences because we worked with rural 
populations in northern Nigeria, where, uh, you know, it's a region where Boko Haram often will, uh, will perform terrorism, um, and, uh, is, 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 is extremely against Western education and development. Uh, they'd rather people you know, they'd rather people just believe in what they are being told by the organization and not what, what, what the reality is. And, um, we, we were there to work with local fa- farmers, with smallholder farmers and their wives on, um, making sure that they can provide good living for their families. So the, we implemented a new tech, smart, smart tech that anyone can upload on their uh, smartphone and that helps monitor the crops that helps you decide on uh, you know when to harvest how to harvest how to take care of them uh, how to take care of your crops so it's you know it, it, it was really really rewarding to see smallholder farmers and their um, and their families benefit from uh, new uh, new software solutions that were that we were applying in that region. And how were how receptive were they to the to that software? Oh, no, absolutely. So the the thing is that you know in Nigeria, and that's true in many developing countries as well, that some people might not have hot water at home or or electricity at home, but they will have a smartphone, and they want to make use of it. Um, and it's not a problem for them to, you know, to get another app that uh, will help them uh, either entertain themselves or do their work. They, they were very receptive to that. And with a little bit of training, because, you know, the, the thing is with this app, like with pretty much any other app to be successful, it's got to be simple. It's got to, you know, it's got to do the thing, but cannot be overcomplicated. So, so it was. And with a little bit of training, uh, all the farmers uh, could uh, could utilize it and and profit from it. I, I want to compare and contrast. How does your experience in from California and being in the startup scene, and I'm sure you had exposure to apps and app app development there uh, and users, right? How did that compare to what you actually experienced then on the ground in Nigeria and working with the the farmers on using an app? Are there transferable? I would say learning outcomes or transferable, like this is how apps work regardless of location. And this is how apps don't work because of the differences in location. Yeah, you know, I think general, I, th- I think there are general rules that work both, you know, in, in a place like California and in a place like Northern Nigeria, which is like for an app or for any business really, but specifically for an app to work, um, it has to address specific need um, it cannot be just that you know you as an inventor you think oh that'd be ni- nice to have it no it, it really has to be something that addresses a need that some population has um, and the bigger the population the better the better for the success of your of your app and then so that's one thing another thing is it has to be affordable so even if you develop something uh, in tech uh, specifically, um, but it's, it's just expensive. And because of that, most people, even if they wanted to, they will not 
use it, uh, then, then it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. So it has to be affordable. And then it has to be in, yeah, it has to be simple and, and intuitive. Um, and, uh, only because nowadays people were getting more and more busy in our lives and, um, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the less time we, we spend on each task, the, the better for us. And if something is overcomplicated, we will often just drop it. Um, so the app has to be nice and simple and quick, uh, and intuitive in, in use. So, the, so those are, I think those are the rules that, that will, you know, will be applicable both in, in California and in, in Nigeria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then one of the other um, ventures you were involved in Nigeria uh, was the, uh, like, correct me on this, I only know it from the LinkedIn profile, we didn't talk about it before, it was the solar, was it pay-as-you-go type of system, or how, can, can you describe your, your involvement in the solar firm in Nigeria? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, with, so I did quite a few solar or renewable energy projects in Africa in general. Those included uh, Rwanda, Kenya, and Nigeria. The one in Nigeria uh, with Pirano Energy, that was solar for small uh, small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, so solar PV with a battery that would replace uh, the very common in Nigeria diesel generators, right? Because the, the, the trouble in Nigeria, and that's again true for many developing countries is that you cannot really rely on the grid. Uh, either the grid is there, but is very dis- disrupted, or it's not there at all. Um, so, so what, so there is distributed energy in developing countries today. The thing is that distributed energy is typically you know, some sort of fuel, conventional fuel. And so in Nigeria, it would be diesel generators. And they are um, expensive. They are expensive to use. They are expensive to maintain. And the fuel itself also is expensive, which is a little counterintuitive since Nigeria is one of the biggest oil oil producers in the world. Um, But the, the oil and gas in Nigeria for domestic use is uh, pretty pricey. So the, so the idea there was to replace those diesel generators with solar and uh, support it with uh, batteries so that, you know, when the sun is not shining or at night, you can still generate, uh, you can still use electricity. And for uh, several of the customers, that was also a start- startup company, several of the customers, it really worked uh uh, you know, brilliantly, uh, brilliantly. Um, we, we were able to, uh, replace a hundred percent of the need for burning fossil fuels for them. Um, and it was a pay as you go system where they would not purchase the, the tech, the equipment upfront. They would, um, pay monthly um based on their consumption and that way it was more affordable for them so the actual actually the biggest challenge there and it's true not in not just in developing countries is again to 
change the mindset of the user because people are just used to doing things the way they do them. And uh, you come with new tech, you come with something, you tell them that it's going to work. And But the, the thing is, they just have to believe you because they don't know themselves. Uh, they typically don't have the means to check it themselves. So, so you come with something else and they have something that sort of kind of works. But the new thing that you bring, well, I'm not sure if if it will work. So, um, so, so the, the biggest barrier there was the mindset shift that we had to, um, that we had to unlock, but it did, um, but we did, um, quite a few successful projects. Excellent. And, and this pay as you go, you saw it as I'm interested in the finance financing model behind it, basically that seemed to work quite well on the ground to, to assist people in affording to use solar and, and battery storage technology. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because for, for the end customer, what happens is if they can pay less for whatever provides energy, they will go for it. And now it's on the business um, and that you find the financier who will then purchase the system and, um, will get it their payback pretty much, right? And the interest rates are uh, fair, but the, so the interest rates will make it worth for the investor or the financier, but they will also, uh, ensure that the end customer the end customer's bill is lower than what it was before. Okay, so the main competition, the substitute is, or the substitute is the solar, but the main competition is diesel, the price of diesel itself mm-hmm. and the generator unit, basically. Yep. Uh-huh. And then you are able to offer, uh, and this company still is offering the solar pa- solar package, I guess we can describe it as, uh, at a competitive price that actually is l- a lower cost to the customer. That's correct. Wow, oh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> okay, it's a real project, right? That delivers real value and really shifts people away from fossil fuels. This is, I, I think it's incredible. Um, and then I got that. Then I guess we, we could maybe shorten this part. We, I don't mean to shorten your life. <laughs> it's not a, you know, this is your life. You're, you're too young to go through this is your life. But co- we will shorten it as what COVID hit, baby was coming lifestyle changes were necessary for a variety of reasons um and you moved to to london is that kind of summarizes the past i don't know year it does yes so so that yeah, that, that that's exactly what happened and you know I've, um you know so i i'm now with clean air fund i have uh, i have known uh calf since inception really and i've collaborated with calf on uh couple of projects in the past. Um, and, you know, the Jane, the director and I, we, we, we kept in touch. And I think both of us kind of knew that the moment will come for us to, uh, to, to tighten our, our collaboration. And, and it happened, uh, three months ago. I'm very happy about that. Uh, happy to pursue CAF's mission in, uh, in, uh, Eastern Europe. Yeah, you've now moved to the Clean Air Fund there, and you're in charge of uh, Eastern and Southern Europe, and this is seen as a key region for for the for the fund. And why is this seen as a key region there? 
CAF has uh, their operations in uh, uh, several countries around the world. For now, it's the UK, India, Poland, and Bulgaria. And Poland and Bulgaria have been selected because, um, sadly, uh, because of all the EU member states, uh, those are the countries with the highest air pollution levels. So, um, so Clean Air Fund with its mission to reduce air pollution, uh, decided to work in countries where that is uh, big of a problem. Why is it such a problem in these countries? So there are there's multiple reasons for that, right? So one is, uh, you know, energy generation. So the majority of uh, energy generation in both Poland and Bulgaria is from fossil fuels and, you know, coal coal specifically uh, then uh, there is um, from transport sector still you know a lot of those old diesel cars that, that western europe doesn't want to use anymore they get uh, shipped and bought in uh, less developed uh, european countries uh, like poland and bulgaria and they are no longer polluting the air in western europe they are now polluting air in eastern europe um, but it's hard to blame people in, in, you know, in Eastern Europe for that because, uh, you know, this is what they can afford, right? And uh, unless we make, uh, cleaner vehicles more affordable for them, they will be buying, uh, you know, uh, more polluting vehicles. There are, there are certain things in terms of infrastructure that are not in place. Uh, recycling is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, both in Poland and Bulgaria, making sure that manufacturing takes into account uh, the level of their emissions. Um, also working with households on uh, their um, uh, heating um, um, uh, equipment, making sure that it's uh, you know as least polluting as possible. Uh, th this is all the work that still needs to be done uh, in um, in the countries that that CAF uh, CAF works in. Maybe I want to go to maybe some possible solutions. So you outline the cars, uh, recycling, heating systems that need need to be replaced. Topping this all is essentially the income, right, of of Eastern Europeans. For example, in the area of cars, yeah. So it's very good policy that uh, the in Western Europe <laughs> they're replacing and getting newer cars, right, and taking off the road in those countries these these older cars. But then, yeah, they're shipped o over to Poland, to Hungary, to Bulgaria. And but what is the solution there? H how can Eastern Europeans benefit from, I don't know, newer technologies or how, how do we get cleaner air in the transport sector that's affordable for the people? Yeah, I think uh, what could be a solution, but it's going to it's going to be a huge effort for everyone. Make sure that we leapfrog from the old polluting secondhand vehicles to something more modern and both in terms of public transport and in terms of um you know individual transport what do i mean by that is we could make electric cars affordable for uh for anyone to purchase um, we could ensure that there is a decent infrastructure to make sure that we can charge those vehicles then we could ensure that there is decent 
public communication um, in uh, not just big towns, but also smaller villages uh, in place so that people don't have to drive, so that they actually can commute on a bus or a train. Um, th that all can be done, uh, but that is that will require a big, big effort, right? I mean, there are government subsidies for different industries. There could be government subsidies for, for that. Um, and there are subsidies for that. Um, you know, government... Part of the role of the government is, you know, to 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 build policies and uh, regulations for for the citizens of each country to live a better life, right? So they so having multiple options to commute to work is a better life. If you choose to drive, uh, drive, perhaps uh, the government can help you with uh, purchasing a. A, a lower polluting vehicle. If you choose to do public transport, which you know a lot of people will prefer, then the, the local government needs to ensure that it is there, that it is in place. Or maybe you choose to bike because your work is you know uh, not far away. But then, in order to bike, there's got to be a safe way for you to bike to work uh, without worrying that you'll get hit by a by a car so that so those so that infrastructure and the policy and the uh, the support that the new mode of uh, us moving around um can provide uh, that that is that is critical um but yeah but it won't happen overnight and it won't um and won't be effortless. Um, and then there is also what we talked about previously, there is also the mindset change that has to happen on the consumer end where, uh, you know, some people just like it when their car is nice and loud. And, um, you know, when um, they, they, they just like this lifestyle um, and they don't feel like commuting because they, they, you know, they don't think that's for them. Um, or, you know, or they uh, just think uh, bike is too much of an effort. So, yeah, so uh, so that so the mindset change is also something that needs to happen and it won't happen overnight. It will probably take generations to, to happen. And yeah. in terms of these these solutions, my one final question for you is what what's next? What, what are you going to be doing? What were your goals with the Clean Air Fund? Absolutely. So with the, with CAF, uh, the objectives are to make sure we reduce air pollution globally. My role specifically, I will be uh, focusing on Poland and Bulgaria. I will try and see if there are other regions in Europe that we could, um, we, we could try and uh, support as well. So yes. Yeah, so if over the next few years, I can make my small contribution to making sure that, uh, you know, my family in Poland, uh, breathe, uh, breathe clean air and that my friends in Bulgaria do that as well. Then I'll be, I'll be very happy. Great. Great. Agata, thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting-edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make the transition. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 page, or on Twitter and Facebook. 
I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.